If you would turn with me to 1 John, uh, is this okay? I think this is all right, right? 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Uh, we're looking at these two verses before we move on. Uh, John the Apostle says, Now little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. Father in heaven, we come before you. We ask that you would feed your people as you have done for thousands of years through your preached word. We pray that it would be your word that would feed your sheep that the sheep would hear his voice, that is Jesus' voice, and that those who don't know you yet would be wooed to you, would see your beauty, your wonder, your majesty. And we ask, Father, that your spirit would take your word, illumine hearts, convict hearts, save us from our sins, change us, move us, convict all that sanctification, all that salvation work that you do. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I had a, a couple at our house. Um, it's kind of fun living here in uh, North County, San Diego, because we have a lot of uh, friends and family who come and visit uh, for any number of reasons. If they have a, a wedding or they just want to go to Legoland or something, they just kind of chill at our house, which is cool. And I have a couple of friends who are really close to me. Um, uh, many of you guys know them. It's uh, Mike and Bessie David and their daughter, Keolani. And if you were to meet them, they're probably some of the most joyful people you've ever met. Joyful in Christ. They are folks who exude joy. And when they are close to other people, and when you talk to them, you just start, end up cracking up. Because we are fellowshipping in Christ and fellowshipping with one another but many people don't know, some folks don't know, that just a few years before, they went through some severe trials, um, such that I would never want to wish on any of my enemies ever, at all. Um, they, before they went to go plant the church in Hawaii, uh, they had uh, their baby, uh, Leili'i, she was born premature, and her lungs wasn't, weren't developed and she was in uh, the NICU unit for quite some time, and she didn't make it. And they were delayed in going to Hawaii as they were helping with the church plant. And I just, I just remember it so vividly. I remember, I remember uh, the whole ceremony when we buried Leili'i, and then I just remembered when we were at the airport saying bye. They were, they, they just buried their daughter. And they were looking at me, and I was looking at them. We were all weeping, and they were going for the gospel. And to me, I just, I just saw their backs as they, you know, you, you can't go through TSA, right? I just saw their backs with their backpacks, and I knew they were weeping on their way out, and they were still going for the gospel. And now when you talk to them, you can't even tell. In fact, Christ has so thoroughly healed them that you say that they're so full of joy. And it's, it's neat because when we think about the anniversary of Le'ili's death, Bessie will share something on Facebook that she has been restored with joy. That the Christ who was with her in the fire 
is with her today. That she can walk and minister and give herself away, not back up anymore. You know, sometimes when we get hurt, we just want to back up and just save ourselves. Preserve ourselves where the gospel says to give yourself. How does that happen? How does that, how do you have the power to do that? Because brothers and sisters, if you've known Christ for any moment of any, any period of time, you know your time of trouble will come. We are in a fallen world. We are on this side of Genesis chapter 3. Will you stand? Will you persevere? If you think you could do it in your strength, you will fall. You will deny him glory. But John chapter 2 verse 28 and 29 tells us, and I believe that God gave this passage to you this morning if you're following along with notes. Uh, is there anyone else who would like some notes? I think Manny has. Okay, um, if you all have notes, that's fine. Um, here, God gave this passage to you so that you would cling to Christ on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. And I use that word carefully, cling. I don't know another word that comes even close to the word abide. The word abide, we don't really use it that much. We, I think only, the, only cops will say abide by the law or something like that, right? But it's really a clinging. It's a depending. It's a trusting, right? And so before John continues on, he knows that there are false prophets coming in. They're teaching a form of Gnosticism that is just going to be full-blown. They're teaching that Christ is not completely God. They're teaching that he is just a phantom of a God. That he is just an emanation is what the Gnostics would believe. And then they teach differently about how the nature of man and what sin is. That you could sin all you want in this body, but it's not going to affect your soul. And John says that's not true. That's not true. What you do with your body affects your soul. It stains your soul. And so now John tells them and he starts out. He says, now little children, verse 28. Now little children, and he, he puts this um, time indicator there now. And the reason why he puts it there is he's just explained to them what he experienced. He experienced in chapter 1, verses 5 and on, that he has touched Christ himself. He has saw him. He has saw his flesh. He held him. He beheld him. And then in chapter 2, he says, as you walk with Christ, even if you do sin, you have an advocate. You have someone who's your go-between. And then he talks about walking in the light, verse 15. He talks about not loving the world, verse 18. He talks about the Antichrist and the spirit of the Antichrist coming. Those who would deny Christ's glory. Those who do not give Christ his lordship. And now he says, and he's as their spiritual father, as it were, he gathers all of them and he uses the word, little children, to talk about every Christian that is in that congregation. And he says that now through the Spirit of God to you this morning. Little children, couched in love. He's going to say some very strong things. Okay? And a loving father will say the truth even if it hurts. Right? And he says to them to abide. Abide. Now that word, this whole Two passages are going to be centered, focused. It's going to dictate what, and everything else is a modifier. 
It's going to give us color of what it means to abide in him. Now, technically, the word abide means to remain. It means to stay. Sometimes uh, Jesus would say, and he would use the same word, wait here, and it would be to abide here, uh, to continue, to wait. And he's using the form of this word. It's in the present active imperative. All that means is that he is commanding Christians everywhere to presently abide in Christ. It is a present thing we ought to do. Okay? You will notice later on in chapter 29, has been born of God, that is past tense, perfect tense, right? Now he's saying present tense, you ought to be abiding. Brothers and sisters, we cannot walk without abiding in Christ. You cannot do this life. It is not only that we are to abide, to trust, to rest in Christ, but you are to deny any other way of living. He says, abide in him. In John chapter 139, I'm just going to read some verses. He says, come and see where I am staying. That's simply, he's just saying, I'm, I'm there. Uh, in other places, in John chapter 14, the Father abides with Christ. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative. But the Father abiding in me does his works. The Father dictates Christ's actions by abiding. He says in John chapter 14, verse 10 as well. He says, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his work. Uh, the abiding is also used in, in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 1417, John 1417 says, that is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and then the promise of the indwelling and will be in you. Abiding also is knowing, relying, and obeying Scripture. In John chapter 8, 31 and 32, it says, Jesus, therefore, was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So what does it mean for a Christian to abide in Christ? Okay. This is so key. Let's turn to John chapter 15, same author. John chapter 15 is going to give us a, a fuller, more robust description of what abiding in Christ means. John chapter 15. It is the fourth book of the New Testament. John chapter 15. This is a famous, famous parable, as it were, as Christ is explaining our vital connection. Uh, theologians will call it our vital connection connection that is how we live how we live john chapter 15 i'll just read verses 1 to 4 at this in the in this first portion i am the vine jesus says and my father is the vine dresser every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that bears fruit he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit verse 3 you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide 
in me. So here from this verse, we see there, there's this confessing, this believing, depending that your whole life, your dreams, your ambitions, and eternity rely on Christ on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. We're going to look through this chapter of chapter 15 and gather some thoughts and then come up with a definition of what it means to abide in him. Verse 5, there's this realization. Notice he says here, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I am in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So you see in verse 5, there is this clinging to Christ, bearing much fruit. Um, I try my hand at gardening sometimes. And I was so happy because I had this little box and this vine started to grow out. It was a spaghetti squash. And as it grew out, it started to grow on the gravel. Most of you guys have been at my house, you, you know. And it was small. And I was like, oh, man, this is going to be so good. This squash is going to grow so big. And I'm waiting for the fruit of it all, right? And I kept waiting. And I kept waiting. And it just stayed the same size. And I was watering it and fertilizing it. And I kept waiting, and it stayed the same size. And I was wondering, when is this ever going to fruit, right? When is it ever going to fruit? And I look around the box, and somebody who will remain nameless stepped on the vine that connected the squash to the box. So I was, no matter how much I watered it, right, no matter how much I fertilized it, I didn't see around the corner that the vine had been severed. There was no growth. Brothers and sisters, God has called you to not be those who have been stunted in their growth. He has called you to be vitally connected to the vine, to receive of the nutrients and the strength that which Christ himself supplies. In fact, he doesn't want you to go to any other vine. Do you understand? To go anywhere else dishonors him. He says, I am the vine. Now, it is clinging to Christ that you can do nothing apart from him. That is nothing, right? He says that. Um, I am the vine, you are the branches. He abides in me, I in him. For apart from me, you can do nothing. It is no longer believing, I got this. You know what I'm saying? People say, I got this. I got this. It's no longer believing in that. It's no longer believing, whatever doesn't kill me makes me stronger. You ever hear that? Whatever doesn't kill me makes me stronger. And yet, there is no link to the vital connection that is in Christ that he offers to all believers. It's an absolute refusal to think that you can make any positive spiritual change or influence without resting and depending on God himself. Verse 6. There's a clinging as a characteristic shows as one who has never been saved. In verse 6 we see. Verse 7. The clinging shows that you are, it says here, you abide in me and my words abide in you and ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. The the abiding, the clinging Christian, a mark of the clinging Christian is that he receives, she receives answered prayer. 
Notice he says here in verse 7, Abide in me my words in you. That means you won't ask for crazy things. You're not going to ask, God, give me the best fishing boat, although I want one, right? You're not going to ask those things. I'm not going to go before the Lord of the universe and ask for simply my pleasures. He says, abide in me. Are you going to ask what he wants? That people would grow in Christ. That souls will be surrendered to him. Are you praying that way? Because if you're praying that way, he answers all the time. Verse 8, the clinging, the abiding Christian is someone who has fruit. My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. So prove to be my disciples. Verse 9, the clinging, the abiding Christian rest and remain in Jesus' love. Just as the father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Clinging means to keep his commandments. Clinging means to abide in the Father's love. Verse 11, I love this part. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be made, may be in you and that your joy may be made full. A lot of folks think that the Christian life is a dry and boring life that you just have to follow a list of do's and don'ts. And sadly, if that's what you think Christianity is, you don't know Christ. Because the Christ who saves is the Christ who grants immeasurable joy. Such that the world has never seen. And now, as we come together, all that to get a working definition. You notice, when we look for a definition in, of a word or a phrase... We don't simply just look at a lexicon and, and then say, okay, that's the definition. You have to see how the phrase is used in context. Now, here's a working definition because we see all these elements and this is the best I can do. If you have a better one, let's talk about it. I'll, I'll steal it from you. I'll, I'll put a footnote. <laughs> abiding in Christ means, you can write this if you're following, abiding in Christ means to Trust in Christ for every need. Yield to Christ in every facet of life. And to delight in Christ over every relationship on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. There's three elements. I'll say that again. Abiding in Christ means to trust in Christ for every need. Every need. Material. Emotional. Spiritual. I am aligning myself with the very sovereign sufficiency of Jesus Christ, right? Trusting him for every need, yielding to Christ in every facet of life, that there is no pocket, no closet, filthy closet of my life that the Lord has not cleaned up. Uh, and if there is, I am constantly opening the doors or I am yielding for him to do the work that is painful in my life, but is needful. And to delight in Christ over every relationship or, or, or every other thing. You can say that. He is my greatest delight. It has those three elements. Now, trust in Christ. This is all by way of introduction. You understand? Okay. But I can't move over this phrase. This is all of life, brothers and sisters. This is sweetness, you know. We were singing, strength for today. Oh, I love, I love that that verse in that song. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Thine, what is it? 
thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Amen? I, I just don't want principles. I just don't want rules. I just don't want letters. I want Him, His presence. I want to walk with Him. Do not give up this birthright of yours, Christian. Do not give it up for simply religion. It is walking with Christ. It is the sweetness of fellowship with God Himself. Amen. That's it. That's all you got. Amen. Oh, this is your richness, Christian. Suck the marrow out of it. Do you even understand that text? Understand that con? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe a minute, some of you do. But my mom used to make this nice kind of pot thing, and we would fight for the bone because in the bone there's the marrow, right? And I, I, I hear that certain restaurants charge extra for the marrow, right? You have to pay. We used to fight for it, me and Micah. Suck the marrow out of life. And what I mean by life is eternal life in Christ. I don't want to get up. You know what George Mueller said? George Mueller, he said, it is your highest duty to make sure before you do anything to be happy in Jesus. Amen. Spurgeon said this, before you see the face of man, it is best that you go see the face of God first. Amen. Now, trust in Christ for your every need. Here's Christ's sufficiency. I'm going to give some points of application because we have to. It's, it's one thing to say abide in him. It's quite another to see what it really means. Okay. Physically, it is for our daily bread. It's for spiritual warfare. It's for emotional upheaval. It's for ministry endeavors. He is for everything. This is when we say, if God is for us, who can what? be against us. It is not simply uh, ideas and speculations. It is in the very grind of life. He loves to glorify himself in the grind of life. The problems that face you, the stresses that gnaw at you. At school, it's the, I don't get this teacher, God help me. Or, my friend Rachel is lost without Christ. Jesus, help me to share the gospel with her because I'm scared. That's abiding. It's a, at work where you say, I don't know if I can continue with this monotony. You ever have a job where it just seems the same over and over, same problems over and over and over and over again? Christ breathed life and hope into my commute. Help me to get up to honor you and to provide. Help me to submit to my boss who simply is just reacting and putting out fires. You ever have a boss who just reacts? Doesn't think forward, just reacts. And then that you have to pick up the pieces. Help me to share the gospel with my coworker whose husband just physically beat her up. That's happened to me. And he's like, I don't even know what to say. She's sitting there with bruises. She calls and... Jeanette and I go over her house because we don't know what to say. God help. Give us a word from you. At home, it is the 
Christ, I don't think I'm getting through to these kids. My kids. Or it's, Jesus, help me to share your scriptures and lead them to you. Or it's, help me to discipline my kids in a spirit of self-control, not of unhinged anger. God, please help me to speak to the heart of the issues and reveal scripture to my young adult in my home. Open eyes and help me to deal with the idols of the heart, not merely superficial behavior. Do you see? It is the, in the ministry, it is, Christ, may you make what we do here more fruitful and effective. May the kids, youth, and adult congregation know and savor you, Jesus. May decisions be made to receive your grace and to follow you. God, help us to choose the most effective projects for your gospel. Help us to not just fill bellies with food, but fill hearts with Christ. Show us how to effectively do that. Personally, it is the, God, I'm so stressed. I got a lot on my plate. I'm not sure how I'm going to do this. I'm worried all these plates I'm spinning will fall down. Oh, Americans, we're good at that, aren't we? We got like a million plates going. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Um, Spurgeon says, I like this, you know, in this text. Look at here, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. You got to know that. That's the other part of abiding. Abiding in him, you can do all things. Apart from him, you can do nothing. I can't stand it when face when people in Facebook or Instagram or or Twitter they just share things about God and they it has no biblical basis. It's just lying, right? How about this? God helps those who help themselves. You ever, you ever hear that? God helps those who help themselves. That's just so false. You know what Spurgeon said? He said, God helps those who can't help themselves. You won't receive the power of Christ until you get to the point that I can't do it. Oftentimes, sometimes I'll get to the end of myself. I've been there. Have you been there? You been there? It is okay in the body of Christ to say, hey, help me. Pray for me. I do it all the time. Mike, pray for me. Pray for me. I'm going to preach. Nelson, pray for me. I got to preach. It's an admission of human weakness and the power of Christ at the same time. So first, it is trusting in Christ for every need. Abiding is yielding to Christ for every facet of life. There is no abiding if there is outright disobedience, right? You cannot say, I trust in you, but I don't want to obey you. You can't say, I want to receive from you, but there are things in my life that I don't want to obey. Verse 7, he says, if you abide in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And in verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So Jesus says, part of abiding is obeying. And lastly, delighting in Christ over every relationship. Christ is preeminent. Question yourself when you're not experiencing this. Notice he says here, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. 
Now, I only say this, brothers and sisters, to belabor the point that when we are abiding with Christ, the normal, the normal mode of the Christian ought to be joy. Okay. Joy. Now, the question comes. See, Jesus said in verse 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be, may be made full. Jesus is not lying. So if he says, I, I am abiding in him that I will have a life flooded with joy and I'm not experiencing that joy, it's most likely because I'm not abiding. Now, I understand there are severe trials. You can get your the wind knocked out of your sails, I understand that. And there are seasons of life like that. But if you are constantly, perpetually, in a state of anger, discontentment, discontentment, I have to say this with love. You are not abiding in Him. Discontentment can slaughter joy. Trying to find final satisfaction in the finite. You might say, my house is not big enough. My car is not new enough. My husband is not in shape enough. My wife is not pretty enough. My kids are not behaved enough. My job does not pay enough. My economic status is not high enough. My reputation is not known enough. My house is not clean enough. Is Christ your delight? Are you abiding in him? Now, let's go back to the text finally. Okay, 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Little children abide in him. And now we have that fuller, more robust meaning of what that means means to trust in him, to yield to him, right? And to delight in him. But why? The verses, the verses give us two, two reasons that we are to cling or to abide in Christ. And the first one is because clinging to Christ grants hope. Clinging to Christ grants hope. Verse 28, it is motivation. I would call this a motivation, not the motivation, okay? There are many motivations to seek after Christ, to chase after Christ. There is the motivation of, of obeying God, the motivation of following his word, the motivation of receiving reward. There is the motivation of uh, loving the church. But here, it's the motivation that grants hope, okay? And what do I mean by that? In verse 28, he says, Abide in him and he couches it so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. And now what he's talking about is the certainty of Christ's return. The certainty of Christ's return. So that when he appears, this is when Christ returns to gather his people at the rapture. John, and we, he's going to write Revelation later on, right? He's going to talk about the second coming of Christ. He talks about, have you noticed, he just kind of says it as a matter of fact. At his coming, when he appears, when he manifests himself completely, right? 
Now we have to depend on this hope. Let it dominate your life. Okay? Christ's promise of, of eternal future with him. This is one of the main motivations that is given in scripture. To seek, to abide, to pursue after Christ. 1 Timothy 6 says this, verse 14, that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach when? Until the appearing of Jesus Christ our Lord. 2 Timothy chapter 4 says, in the future there is laid for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will reward to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. It's Jesus' promise to you. John 14 says, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. Isn't that sweet, brothers and sisters? That at the end of the day, my wife and I says, Man, I just want to rest. You ever get that way? I just... Man, I'm just balancing kids' lives and ministry and family. I just want to rest. And she goes, get up. We'll rest when we're dead, okay? We'll rest when we're dead. But you know what's wonderful about it is all these things for the Christian is secure. Really. And see, do you see how that works? Now your hands are Looser on the things around you. Amen? I'm not dictated by things. I'm not dictated by position. I'm not dictated by what everyone else is doing. I'm simply dictated by falling in deeper and deeper love and deeper and deeper knowledge of my Savior. And that's all that matters. When uh, one of the greatest missionaries who has ever lived was William Carey. Uh, he landed in Calcutta. He translated the Bible, he, uh, he and his team, to 28 different languages. Uh, he, I mean, imagine, we sometimes fear for our family because of crime, right? They, they had to fear for their family because their hut was next to a river and there was a lot of crocodiles taking people, right? And so he, he went through the hot sun, and he, he, I can't even believe it. I can't, even, I can't fathom being in India without an air conditioner, really. I can't. It's so scorching hot, right? But he, uh, by God's grace, he did, and he was very productive. But you know what? He has no, uh, when Steve was there with uh, Chris Williams, they took him into this uh, back alley plot Cemetery, un, unkempt, weeds all over in the back. And there was William Carey's uh, burial site. No fanfare, no big mausoleum, no big recognition, simply a tombstone. Right? And when Steve, uh, he was my old pastor, he went to be with the Lord. When he saw that, he just went to the ground and wept. And he wept because he was a man who did so much for the glory of God, yet received so little recognition in the eyes of men. 
But brothers and sisters, who really cares? If he is really worth it, you would pack up your things and move and plant a church. Amen? If he is really worth it, you would take that extra theology class to study. If he is really worth it, you would pack up your kids and get to home fellowship group and get to service and be there to hear the gospel. Because nothing else really matters. Now, he says... This is the Christian's experience. This is fantastic, right? He says that as a Christian, we have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. We may have confidence. The word there for confidence is outspokenness, frankness, plainness of speech. In this context, it means courage, boldness, fearlessness, joyful sense of freedom. This is amazing. This speaks of the Christian's boldness in his approach to God. He's no longer afraid. His sins have been forgiven. But now this is a boldness. In other places in the New Testament, there is boldness given to the Christian because of the shed blood of Christ. We know that in Hebrews chapter 4, it says, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Hebrews chapter 10, it says, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Same word. But this is different. This is confidence because of a holy and godly life abiding in Christ. I have confidence, Jesus, that I can meet you because you have worked such in my life and you have given me so much. You have fellowshiped with me that I have confidence that we are on right terms. Is that amazing? You've changed me. This is the subjective aspect of Christianity. There is the objective, which is I believe in Christ. He's forgiven me of my sins. His blood is enough. Then there's the subjective. It is him actually working in you. 2015. No, 17. Where's 17? 2017. Here. God is working in my life. Amen? Now. It's a life becoming more godly as we abide in Christ. And then it says, and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. This word there, shrink, means to be dishonored, to be put to shame. There is, for the unbeliever who does not abide, there is no confidence. And I have to say this clearly, brothers and sisters and friends who are here. No confidence. There is fearfulness when you die, when you meet God. Because of your unbelief and your hypocrisy. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. But in John chapter 15, you got to read this. You have to read this. John chapter 15. This is what God's word says, okay? John chapter 15. We know that in John 15, he talks about abiding. But look at verse 6. And he's going to talk about the person, the unbeliever who does not abide. Okay. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them, cast them into the fire, and they are burned. A life that is not given in abiding, clinging to Christ is a life that's going to hell. 
Christian by virtue of who Christ is will abide. The non-Christian will not abide. Will not cling. Clinging to Jesus brings hope. It is your motivation to move forward, knowing that he is coming. You know he will come, and for you, believer, it will be the culmination of all that you have been doing since you've been saved. As you were abiding in him, trusting, yielding, delighting, then you will see him face to face. It is just the culmination of what we've been doing all our lives because we've been saved. But if abiding in Christ does not mark your life, it's because you do not believe in him. If you're not trusting, yielding, and delighting in Jesus, it's because you are not saved. The Bible says there is a day of shame for you. You will be ashamed. Yes, you will. Because people have told you and you have not believed. Shame because you've denied him who loves you. Shame because of many times folks have shared the gospel with you and you laughed and gave no thought or care of his rule. But you have time to turn. And I'll, we'll talk about this turning. Number two, verse 29. Clinging to Jesus brings hope. Clinging to Jesus changes lives. Clinging to Jesus changes lives. This is why you should cling. This is the manifestation of, of what has occurred in your life. Now, he says here in back in 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. Or better a better translation would be has been born of him. Okay? Has been born of him. Now, he says, if you know that he is righteous, righteous change is not rooted in your desire to change yourself. Okay? Righteous change at its base level, okay? sanctification, where the life changes to become more and more like Christ, does not originate in you. Okay? It's not you saying, oh, I'm bad, I'm going to turn over a new leaf now. I'm just going to kind of reform myself. I got new goals. I'm writing it down in my 2017 calendar as my resolution. Righteous change is rooted in God's character. Okay, It's rooted in him. If you know that he is righteous, and he uses the word to know, it's going to be a different word to know uh, later on in verse 29. This is the factual, factual absolute truth. I know this for a fact, that God is righteous. He is altogether holy. He is altogether pure. He is altogether separate from sin. That is who he is. He is perfect. Now, because he is perfect when he saves his people, he will make them perfect. He changes their lives so fundamentally that as they are saved, Immediately, they start following a new direction. And when they die, they are ushered into this perfection. Notice it says here, and you'll see this connection. Why am I, why am I growing in Christ's likeness? It's because God is holy. Amen? 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. 
1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13 has that same idea. He says, therefore, prepare your minds or gird up your minds, right? For action, keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then it says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts. Okay? Don't live like you used to. Don't live like that. Don't be just tossed back and forth by what your strong lusts inside of you dictated in your ignorance. But it says, but like the Holy One who called you, what does it say? Be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because why? It is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. I like this one Facebook saying, I'll tell you this. God loves you so much the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay the way you are. That's true. If you're a believer, right? He loves you. He loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay the way you are. Because he himself is holy. He will have holiness with you. Amen. Amen. Now, back in 1 John chapter, um, go to th chapter 3. We'll, we'll see this same principle. In chapter 3 and verse 9, it says, No one, no one who is born of God practices sin. Why? Because his seed, his life, abides in him. God's very own nature now has been implanted in you and he cannot sin. That is not instance of sin. That is a practice of sin. It's in the present active indicative. It, he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now that, and what is the experience of the Christian? If in fact you have truly believed in God and you have truly been born again, you are now growing in him. And when you do sin, those instances of sin, you cannot stand it in yourself. I'll tell you what, that wasn't in me before. I didn't even care. But now I care. I can't stand it in myself. I hate when I'm hypocritical, when I'm sinful. I hate when my mouth gets the best of me or I allow, it, allow that to happen. I hate when I don't gird up my thoughts. I hate it. So when I do, because there is a new nature in me, I ask God for forgiveness to change. And that is your experience, every Christian. I, I still find it amazing when someone gets saved and all of a sudden they open their eyes and go, I got to get right. I did. I just sinned. I got to get right. I got to get right with such and such. I got to get right with this person. I got to do right. What accounts for that? It is God himself who is righteous. Amen. Now, what's wonderful is that righteous change is rooted in his character, so he will have it with all of his people. And it doesn't work apart from you in this sense, that he desires that you would abide and yield and trust and depend on him. But righteous change is initiated by his new birth. So it's rooted in his character, and it's initiated by his new birth. This is the sequence, although it's not that way in the text. The sequence is new birth first, righteous living and abiding next. Okay, 
New birth first. Now, the pattern of the new life, you know that everyone who, also, who practices righteousness, and now John switches the terms and he uses a different word for know. It's not knowing as a fact. He goes, you know by experience. You know this Christian. You know those who are his. You know it for a fact. You know you've experienced it. You've had it around you. Those who are abiding in Christ are saved. They are the ones who've been born again. Don't be fooled by this. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor liars, he just goes on, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, we're at war. Do you understand? They're confusing the gospel. When God saves, he always changes. Always. Now, we may grow at different rates, okay? But he always changes. If there is no change, there is no save, salvation. If, he is, if there is no abiding, there is no birth. I love being able to share the gospel when I get a chance. But every time, I, I, always, I always feel someone hit the brakes on me. You know, they're kind of agreeing, agreeing, agreeing. And then when I say something, they hit the brakes, right? You ever, be, you ever been there? Right. So I'm sharing the gospel, and I say, well, why don't you come to church? Oh, they hit the brakes. And I say, well, what happened? I thought we were, we're, getting, we're doing pretty well here, right? And, and, he, and they go, I really got to change my life before I go to church. And I tell them, you got the order wrong. Jesus, what, is, what does it say? God loves you the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay the way you are. You've got, to, you've got to come the way you are. And the way this works, brothers and sisters, is not we change the outside and then the inside changes. It doesn't work that way. You ever tried that? You cannot formulate, manipulate salvation. The Spirit of God has to cause that person to be born again. And when they do, you cannot stop them. You can't stop the work of God. They just start thirsting after God. They keep coming after God. But if you have to, if you, have you ever been where you kind of forced it or you kind of, kind of manipulated, you know what, you're always going to have to do that. See, when God changes, I already know he's got a hold of that person. And they're going to grow. Now, we have to do our part and feed and instruct and disciple, but they are going to grow. And what's wonderful, it says, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born or perfect tense has been born. The perfect tense in the Greek simply means it's an event that happened in the past with ongoing results, okay? And so what God is saying is, those who have been born again in the past, there's ongoing results. Their life will be changed. They will continue to seek after Christ. They will continue to abide in Him, no matter how many times they get knocked down. Born again results in abiding, which results in a righteous life. This is the sequence and the order of salvation. 
It's not I need to fix myself. Then I go to church. It's Christ, I am a mess. Fix me. I trust in you. Please fix my life. Help me. Help me to get up. And he does. And he meets with you. Oh, I, I've been quoting Spurgeon. I've been reading a lot of Spurgeon, but notice. He says, the scripture does not say you must be improved. The scripture says you must be born again. Amen. Abiding is a result of being born again. It is the manifestation. Abiding in Christ, you are motivated because he's coming back. Amen. Oh, We're glad you're all here. Please join us for lunch. There's enough. And if there's not, someone will go to KFC and get something, okay? We're so glad you're here. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much that we can trust in the Savior. We thank you that you walk with us, even as that old spiritual, you walk with us and you talk with us and you tell us you are, we are your own. Oh, what sweet fellowship we have with you, Christ. God, I just pray for the saint out there that they would continue to trust in you for their every need, to yield to you for in every aspect of your life and to, of their lives and to delight in you more than any other thing or person. God, may we live lives of abiding and of joy. You are coming back. We're going to see you, the one who died for us. We love you. Help us to sing. Bless the fellowship time in Jesus' name. Amen.